Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. What is the evidence for survival after death? What constitutes death? What do near-death experiences actually mean? Hello, and welcome to the 931st edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, coming to you from WOON, AM, and FM radio in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, on the Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live, on YouTube and via TuneIn.com. I'm Ben, and those lethal questions came from my co-host, partner in Paranormal Adventures, and dad, Paul. And today we bring you a new guest on a bottom-line subject. Based in Huma, Louisiana or was anyway, since Hurricane Ida kind of moved him, Jeffrey Long is a medical doctor specializing in radiation oncology. Of course, that's the treatment of cancer. Uh, as a scientist, Jeff founded the Near-Death Experiences Research Foundation, or NDERF, in 1998. Working with Jeff and the foundation is his wife, Jody. Uh, Jeff is the author of the New York Times bestseller, Evidence of the Afterlife, the Science of Near-Death Experiences. Jeff has appeared in national media, including The O'Reilly Factor, NBC Today, ABC with Peter Jennings, The Dr. Oz Show, The History Channel, The Learning Channel, and National Geographic. Uh, Jeff and I both serve on the research committee of the Consciousness and Contact Research Institute. So, Dr. Jeff Long, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, Thank you very much. Well, thanks for having us and uh, the putting up with the uh, the the rather uh, unpredictable weather we have here in uh, New England or the frozen chosen, as I've heard us called. Um, so I guess we'll just hop right into it. So you have researched near death experiences or NDEs for at least twenty four years. So how do you conduct that research, and what are your conclusions? Sure. From the very dawn of my research, we set up a website nderf.org, and it had a survey on it, which is with questions designed by the best scientific methodology. Uh, initially, people share a narrative of their experience, and then the current version of the survey asks over 100 questions. Uh, over the years, we are now studying over 3,500 near-death experiences that have been shared with the website uh, in that over 20-year period. So we're able to learn more about near-death experience now than was ever possible before, not only because of the large number of people that are in our research group, but also because of the large number of questions they all respond to. So what are my conclusions beyond the shadow of a doubt uh, from this evidence-based research? Evidence of an afterlife is absolutely, unequivocally established from my research and the research of many others. Well, the so, question, Ben, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Well, I was, I was, I was going to say it's... Um, it's it's hard. Well, I, I guess with with the research methods that you use, have you found that there's re, repeatable experiences? Anything you can point to patterns? Anything like that? Because just just from from my my experience and, and listening to um, many people who've had you know NDEs, it's it seems as if they're they're all very different from from everybody else. There's really nothing you can kind of point to that says, oh yeah, I've had the same thing. You know what I mean? Sure. Uh- Near-death experiences, there's no two near-death experiences that are, are the same. However, when you study many of them, thousands in my case, you see a very consistent pattern of what occurs called mm-hmm. elements of a near-death experience very consistently described. Some of the stronger lines of evidence for the reality of near-death experience and its consistent message of an afterlife is, well, early on in near-death experiences, one of the more common first elements It's what's called an out-of-body experience. Consciousness rises above the body while the body is unconscious or clinically dead. 
And from that vantage, they can see and hear ongoing earthly events. When they go back or, or other investigators go back to check out the, what they saw, almost invariably what they saw and heard is accurate down to the finest details, even if what they saw is far from their physical body, far beyond any possible physical sensory awareness. A couple other substantial lines of evidence for the reality of NDE is the near-death experience among the blind. Even those born totally blind have reported visual near-death experiences, uh, and we have a small series of people legally blind who had absolutely normal, if not supernormal, vision during their near-death experience. That's, of course, medically inexplicable. And then, of course, we have a fairly scores of near-death experiences, actually, that were shared while their heart stopped while under general anesthesia. So under that blanket of sleep, you should have no conscious experience. And then when your heart stops, well, 10 to 20 seconds later after your heart stops, the EEG or electroencephalogram, that's a measure of brain cortical electrical activity, goes absolutely flat. And it should be impossible to have any lucid experience at that time, both from the anesthesia and from your heart stopping. And yet, by the scores, people report near-death experiences under exactly those circumstances. They're typical near-death experiences with all the characteristic elements. So just from those lines of evidence, you can very quickly see near-death experiences are, in a word, real. Hmm. Well, one of the things uh, I wanted, we wanted to get into, of course, were, were case studies that you've done and examples of, of this. And, of course, the question is, you know, what is it that constitutes evidence? I mean, we're always talking about uh, the pursuit of evidence in, in, in this and related fields. Um, could, is it possible that all the experiences that are reported to you could be uh, simply neurological? Now, now, you pointed out the fact that when, when you're flatline, your brain is flatline, that that sort of activity is not possible. Uh, that sounds like pretty good evidence to me. I mean... You know, so uh, w w could you say a little more about about the nature of evidence and uh, why it's valid? Sure. Uh, as we mentioned, and you were right there, when you have a cardiac arrest, that means your heart stops beating immediately. Blood fl stops flowing to the brain. The brain is very what we call metabolically active. So, ten to twenty seconds after the blood stops going to the brain, as we said, the EEG electroencephalogram, no measurable electrical activity in the brain at all. And yet, by literally the hundreds, people are reported near-death experiences, consciousness above their body, observing ongoing earthly events, often frantic efforts at others, at the resuscitation uh, methods, trying to bring them back to life. That's absolutely medically inexplicable, and that's certainly very powerful evidence. There's no other way uh, that that could possibly happen. You can't have a, a lucid, conscious, organized, uh, if not supra-lucid experience while you're measurable brain electrical activity is absolutely flat. And in fact, there was an EEG measurement ongoing on someone who did have a cardiac arrest and had a near-death experience, and indeed their near-death experience correlated exactly with a measured flat electroencephalogram. And then another good example is near-death experiences under general anesthesia. It should be, and, and those of you that have had general anesthesia, you know what I'm talking about. Boom, you go to sleep, it, it's a void, there's nothing. You don't, you don't have even a fragment of, of memory. And then all of yeah. a sudden, boom, ultimately you wake up again. So occasionally when the heart stops at that point in time, not only do you not have blood flowing to the brain, and of course that's very carefully measured during operations, during anesthesia, uh, but to have that out-of-body observation, seeing uh, the frantic resuscitation efforts. And by the way, as a doctor, I can tell you it's not like Hollywood when your heart stops unexpectedly during surgery. 
Uh, there's panic. There may be unprofessional behavior. It's usually the doctor. Uh, the crash <laughs> cart doesn't uh, mystically appear, and uh, it's exactly what people that have a near-death experience describe and not what they could have observed from any other source. I mean, it's really what happens. So that's just two examples out of many. Uh, I have a total of about 12 lines of evidence. Those are just two of the more vivid, but there's absolutely no medical explanation possible for having lucid, organized ex- uh, experiences during a cardiac arrest, consciousness above the body, what they see and hear verified, uh, or to have that under general anesthesia. There's no medical explanation possible for near-death experiences occurring. So it's a basic tenet of science uh, to get back to that very important evidence question. That's what, what's real is consistently observed. So by the time you have uh, scores or even hundreds of near-death experiences all describing that same phenomena, that's a reality that's consistently observed, and that's that's why we feel so convinced from the evidence of near-death experience. Hmm. So my my we're gonna take a I want to take a little little sidestep here, and um, I I really. Yeah, you, you're yeah, you're pretty 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 accomplished accomplished doctor, you know, in the field of oncology. What brought you to the study of near death experiences? How, how did you how did you make the leap? That is a great question. Decades ago, I was in my residency training for my medical specialty of radiation oncology. That was before we had the internet. <laughs> it was that long ago, and uh, we had big old thick volumes of medical journals that we had to go through to find articles because that was our source back then. So I was at the library, flipping through what's called the Journal of the American Medical Association, one of the world's most prestigious medical journals, and quite by accident came across an article that had the term near-death experience in it. I'd never heard it before, and I said, what? Everything I knew medically is you're alive, you're dead. What's this near-death experience? So fascinated, I stopped what I was doing, read the article, and was amazed. Here were people having near-death experiences from this author, a cardiologist named Dr. Sabom, all around the world, with content of these experiences remarkably similar. And I knew, again, as a scientist, with that basic principle, what's real is consistently observed, there sure looked to me like there was something going on. So I stopped looking for my cancer article, read some of the bibliographical referenced articles there, and was immediately amazed. I mean, how can you not be fascinated and intrigued by what happens after you die? So I remember thinking prophetically, geez, why aren't more people researching this remarkable topic? Well, this was in the early 1980s when there wasn't a lot of research going out. Near-death experiences were first described back with uh, Dr. Raymond Moody's classic book, Life After Life, in 1975. So there was very little research sort of got traction by those early days. So that, that really sort of put the bug in my ear, uh, fascination, that commitment to learn more about near-death experiences and ultimately set up my near-death experience research project. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you, well, good. One of the things, and of course, obviously, we don't have anything near your experience, but we, we, we run into cases and people will tell us their experiences. Do you find that personal situations, personal beliefs, uh, personal, you know, traits will affect what the near-death experience is? In other words, if someone is, is a person of faith, do they have different experience from an atheist? That kind of thing, and and I've stood at the deathbeds of four atheists, mm-hmm. and uh, every one of them, they, I was a seminary student. Every mm-hmm. one of them took my hand and asked me about God. Every one of them. One of them was a doctor, and as death goes, they weren't good deaths. But I said, look, 
just say thank you. That's all you have to, you know, and that seemed to help. But in any case, uh, atheists versus people of faith or mm-hmm. uh, people of different cultures, what differences have you found, if any? Sure. Now, that's a good question. Um, I co-authored a scholarly book chapter that reviewed 30 years of near-death experience research. We published that a while back. And in that chapter, me and my co-authors looked at a wide variety of demographic variables, age, gender, sex, um, certainly religious background at the time of the experience. So after that intensive review of all published prior literature, the group of us could find no correlation between what a person's prior beliefs or lack of beliefs were and whether they would have a near-death experience when they nearly died or what the content of that near-death experience would be. So bottom line is, remarkably, uh, it doesn't seem to really correlate well or even not at all with that. And with regard to belief systems, I, of course, was very curious about that. Our website, nderf.org, has been translated into over 30 non-English languages, including Arabic and some languages specific to non-Western countries. So we've received scores of near-death experiences from non-Western countries in their native language, and we have them human-translated into English so that we can review them. We actually post it in both languages as a quality assurance step, but that's another story. At any rate, looking at these scores of near-death experiences from all around the world, non-Western countries, uh, again, defined as where Judeo-Christian religious beliefs are not the, are not predominating, uh, even these people of widely varied uh, non-Judeo-Christian religious background beliefs have strikingly similar near-death experiences. Now, words get in the way in a little bit. I mean, how can you translate into non-English languages, unearthly, spiritual, things that literally aren't of this earth. But if you read these experiences, and I have by the scores, it's uh, far more striking how similar they are than different. Every single element that occurs in a typical Western near-death experience occurs in a typical uh, non-Western near-death experience. And so, and they often have the very similar changes in their life afterwards. So it doesn't seem to make, remarkably, it doesn't seem to make any difference whether you're, say, a Muslim in Egypt or a Hindu in India or a Christian in the United States, wherever on the planet you have a near-death experience, its content is going to be strikingly similar. So what are the major characteristics that are kind of shared? If you had, if you had to break it down by, you know, that sort of like the the, uh, the common denominators, what, what would those be? Sure. The, the typical elements uh, that are seen in near-death experiences, again, no two are the same, but a calm, a sort of a very detailed, typical near-death experience involves, first of all, you have that cardiac arrest. They're unconscious from their injury trauma. Um, as a, at that time when they're unconscious, by dictionary definition, they shouldn't have any memory. They do. For those that have a near-death experience, their elements can go like this. There's that out-of-body experience. Consciousness arises above the body, and they see ongoing earthly events. They then pass into or through a tunnel, variably described, but essentially never claustrophobic. Often at the end of the tunnel, there's a beautiful, typically described as unearthly, not like anything in this earth, but a beautiful mystical light. Uh, Passing through the tunnel, they find themselves in an unearthly realm, often described as a heavenly realm. And I think that's very aptly named, because in that area there can be Uh, Beautiful things, landscapes, we've heard that people describe flowers with colors so beautiful, there's no earthly coral. They're colors that don't even exist on earth. They may hear music that is beautiful beyond anything they've ever heard on earth. Uh, There can be buildings, that's often where they encounter their deceased loved ones. 
Uh, these are joyous reunions. Their deceased loved ones are always in picture-perfect health, uh, and that can be a lot of joyous interaction, even deceased pets. Again, even if the pet died of a crippling, disfiguring uh, elderly illness, they're essentially always picture-perfect health, again, joyous reunions, even with the deceased pets. Uh, so in this uh, unearthly realm, they may have what's called a life review, where they see part or all of the prior life. Around this time, they're typically feeling overwhelming, intense emotions. Uh, it's a very powerful sense of love, connection with everything and everyone is very typically described at this time. In fact, the great majority of people literally don't want to leave that unearthly realm and return to the earthly body where their friends, family, and loved ones, everybody they knew before they died, are, of course, still there uh, hoping for their recovery. So that's, uh, if you will, a fairly detailed uh, elements that occur during a near-death experience. Okay. Um, ben, uh, you can uh, ask another question if you wish. I, you see, we're not in the studio today because of the, of the blizzard in New England, but... I'm frantically uh, taking can, notes. Um, I can usually tell when Ben has something to say. You know? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm working on it. Uh, okay. I, I guess, well, well actually, I kind of do. I do have one that immediately popped into my head. Are there, are there physical sensations? Like, do they feel themselves walking, interacting? Obviously, there's listening, right? Do they have, do they retain all of their senses? Uh, all five earthly senses have been described in near-death experiences, and yet they're different in an important way. For instance, uh, while we hear that's a physical thing, part of our physical nature, in near-death experiences, essentially always communication is described as the best word is telepathic, but that's an incomplete word. They're sharing, if you will, by thought, uh, complete communication. Uh, very often they say all context around what's being communicated is being shared, uh, and there's no ambiguity and no possibility of miscommunication. Vision, while uh, we can see with our vision here is different in near-death experience. When I interviewed the lady who was born totally blind and had her vi highly visual near-death experience, she described what many near-death experiencers describe, and that is vision in the near-death experience is, if you will, 360-degree vision. They're simultaneously seeing and processing visual information in front of them, back of them, right, left, and up and down, technically spherical information. So we see that, too. So while the, all the senses are described in, in near-death experiences that we know in our earthly life, they're very often supernormal or occurring at a level uh, beyond anything they ever experienced in their life. Mm. Interesting. Now, several, on several occasions, uh, we, and again, we're on a different street in our research, but uh, people have uh, come to us with, very, very, uh, rarely, but very negative mm -hmm. near-death experiences. One was a professor uh, I remember, and uh, his experience was terrible. I mean, would, do you run into that, too? You must. Mm -hmm. uh, sure do. Um, you know, a lot. Uh, to nearly die can be a frightening experience, and, and it isn't always pleasant. Now, the substantial majority of these purported unpleasant near-death experiences really aren't. One of the more, in fact, I'm a co-author of an article that's going to be published in the New York Academy of Sciences in the very near future where we get into this, but in brief, the significant majority of previously published or verbally presented frightening, especially hellish near-death experiences aren't. The most common confounding experience with that occurs that with confused with near-death experience is what's called ICU or intensive care unit delirium. I mean, certainly these people have a near-death experience as a result of accident, injury, uh, illness, something that made them 
close to death. And during that close brush with death after that, when they're recovering, they may spend days, weeks in the intensive care unit. It's not unusual in the intensive care unit to have frightening hallucinatory experiences. They're usually, well, usually, easily distinguished from near-death experiences by the fact that they are dreamlike. They're hallucinatory. People often recognize that hallucinatory component when they wake up, most of the time, not always. Uh, events in these ICU, if you will, deliriums tend to skip around like dreams. They don't flow linearly, as is typical in near-death experiences. But for a lot of people, it can be very, very frightening. And uh, uh, for the people that, that don't recognize that as a delirium hallucinatory experience, um, they, can, they can actually be haunting for a long period of time. Now, how, having said all that, there's still certainly real bona fide uh, hellish and very, very frightening near-death experiences. In my over 3,500 near-death experiences I've reviewed, it's probably in a, about the 2% range. And that's, uh, mm. But so they, they do happen. They're just rare with that order of magnitude. Okay. Uh, we, um, we'll take our break at some point here, but, uh, before we get into listener questions, uh, I, I did have one, uh, that, uh, okay, we, we've, um, talked about near-death experiences, but, and maybe we talked about death a little bit, but what, what is an afterlife? What, what constitutes an afterlife? And, and are we getting into what a physicist would call non-locality here? As well, in other words, it's it's not all inside us. What Ben and I call the island theory, and uh, it's it, a lot of this of our consciousness is outside of us, etc. Can, can you comment on uh, the nature of the afterlife and the nature of consciousness? Twenty five words or less. Yeah, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, consciousness clearly exists apart from the body in near death experiences. I mean, that's almost literally a defining characteristic of near-death experiences, but the consciousness apart from the physical body is clearly operating independent of the physical brain. Remember our prior discussion of near-death experiences under general anesthesia or after the heart stops and brain electrical activity is flat. So there's clearly the, the and, and that's part of the afterlife consciousness. It exists in, the, it's obviously a non-material realm. As we talked about earlier, communication, telepathic, movement in near-death experiences almost invariably described as non-physical. Uh, time in near-death experiences, one of the most common things we hear is that time is either radically different from our earthly everyday experience or, more commonly, when time is addressed, they state it doesn't exist at all in a near-death experience. So uh, it's clearly a non-physical realm. It's not a separate, independent physical realm from what we live in. It is a radically different realm of existence that is uh, characterized by being non-physical. So that's... That's what what is is overwhelmingly consistently seen in near death experiences is this uh, immaterial uh, afterlife. So that's uh, you know that gets into that you know the episode of uh, discussions about consciousness. Clearly, consciousness exists apart from the body. Uh, it does the near death experiences by the thousands and thousands. Not just my research, but really all other near death experience researchers see the same thing, uh, and that's yeah. fascinating to me. You know, as a doctor, or somebody who's interested in consciousness. Uh, that's just a never-ending source of fascination for me to read these experiences and see that over and over again. One of the questions that might arise are the same question we ask in paranormal research, mm-hmm. and that's uh, why are so many, if, if this is a non-physical realm or realms, why are things so physical? And in, in our opinion, 
the, uh, in our theories and methods of, of working with the paranormal, we believe in the multiple worlds interpretation, and there are many versions of us, uh, mostly physical, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, but I don't know. I, I, we're going to have time to get, to get into that. I have to leave that for another show. But just um, uh, well, I'm, I'm going to do the station ID right now. I'm not sure what's going on. But uh, what you're listening to behind the paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 12:40 a.m. and 99.5 FM in New England's beautiful but really cold and snowy Blackstone River Valley, and uh, we uh, I guess we'll, we'll plow right through here. Pardon the ah, pun. Good pun. <laughs> yeah, and um, keep, keep going. But uh, with our with our wonderful guest Dr. Jeffrey Long, uh, who is in the, the comparatively warmer climate of uh, Kentucky, right of uh, Louisiana, right now. So, okay, uh, now I wanted to get into one or two of my own kind of experiences because uh, your description of of the vivid nature of the visual experiences is really something. Now I don't know if I've ever really had a near death experience, and I wanted to ask you if you did, of course. But uh, Ben was a baby. It was, uh, we were in our, our, uh, old, uh, digs in Cumberland, Rhode Island in the middle of the woods. And, uh, I was not feeling very, uh, good at all. Uh, it turns out that I had pneumonia, uh, and, uh, atrial fib going on. I ended up in the hospital for 10 days. But, um, all of a sudden, I mean, Ben was sort of lying there as babies do. And, uh, I, um, had this vision that just opened up. Uh, my whole consciousness of a, a man-made cave, which was very beautiful, and, and a lizard, a multicolored lizard. And you know, I'm I'm not particularly interested in reptiles, but this was the, one of the most beautiful things I'd ever seen. And the vivid nature of it was, as as you described previously, was was uh, mind-boggling. And uh, all of a sudden, somebody slapped me in the face and said. Go to the hospital, stupid. <laughs> That's what I heard. And so, I mean, this is not quite the thing I would expect from what I heard about near-death experiences. But fortunately, uh, there was someone to stay with Ben. And, and I drove myself to the hospital. And as I say, I ended up there for 10 days. Um, so, I mean, there's that. And then uh, there's a sort of a vivid, and, and I attribute this to having been a, a night newspaper editor for years, uh, I would get up early in the morning to take the boys to the school bus, Ben and his brother, and uh, I would make up for the sleep in the afternoon because I, you, you put out the morning paper at night. So I'd get home 1, 2 o'clock in the morning from the Providence Journal, and, uh, you know, I'd make up the sleep in the afternoon. And I would keep a dream record uh, from that. And there would be times uh, in the most recent, really since I turned 60, that I've been able to duplicate in dreams and sometimes even in waking life the very vivid um, visual experience that, that, that I had. That Not not that very experience, but different things. Uh, sometimes they'll be spontaneous and very often be uh, trees and a landscape. But I've learned to uh, begin to walk in whatever world this is and kind of look around, that kind of thing. And uh, I don't know if there's anything to do with what we've been talking about. But it, uh, the characteristics you uh, you name are kind of striking, and uh, I mean, am, am I like dying a lot, or I mean, what the heck is going on? Not like a cat, yeah, nine lives. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm very cat-like. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I, I don't know, Jeff, if, if that's anything you 
have an opinion on, or or am I just nuts, or what? No, well, I, I have great news for you, Paul. You're not nuts. Uh, not in my oh, opinion. Oh, thank you. Coming from a doctor, that means a lot. Oh, yeah, that's 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 the good news on that. But yeah, thanks no for saying that. Um, the you know, first of all, back when you you had that episode of pneumonia and saw that interesting cave and a lizard, it's hard to really know, you know, especially years later, how to classify that. There's a group of so-called mystical experiences that can have content uh, that are very spiritual in nature and overlap what occurs in near-death experiences. So that, you know, it's possible that is. But as far as people that have experiences like that, uh, you're really, Paul, the best person on earth to decide if that was real or hallucinatory. And I don't forget you had pneumonia. You were very sick. You may well have had a fever. When you have a, especially a high fever, you can have yeah, I did. hallucinations, yeah, associated with the fever. So, and especially you can get unconscious. We see a lot of experiences that are purported to be near-death experiences, but they're not. They're febrile hallucinations. Uh, but the, uh, the best way to tell them is from you yourself, yourself's own assessment. In other words, if it felt dreamlike, if it felt unreal, it probably was not a near-death experience. It was probably not a, a, a bona fide uh, spiritual mystical experience. It was probably just something because you were dang sick and you just happened to have a, a dreamlike experience. On the other hand, if it felt, as people have near-death experiences say, was grippingly real, if you really felt that strong sense of reality, if you really felt, especially after the experience, that what you learned or how it impacted your life was positive and, and perhaps you made some positive changes thinking about that and processing your experience, then that would put it more in the mystical experience category, which are you know, very well described in the, in the scholarly literature. They're certainly bona fide experiences, and they can be as powerful as near-death experiences. So, that okay. Paul, it's up to you to, to classify it. Well, I think it probably saved my life. Mm-hmm. And there, twice that's happened in my life. One that was in the military, and I can't really say much about it. But um, anyway, uh, let's go to some questions. Uh, we have uh, Peter Shelley from Bogota, Colombia, who is uh, one of our uh, guest co-hosts from time to time, and he always asks uh, very good questions. Uh, ben, I'm sorry, you usually read these, but I I have them here. Uh, this is, um, please ask Dr. Long, has hypnotic regression been used to explore NDEs further? If so, what additional information came out? Yeah, that, that's a good question. I, hypnotic regression is just basically hypnosis in an effort to sort of relive the near-death experience. I, I see a lot of folks describe that, and, and my personal opinion is it's a bit of a mixed bag. If you're having hypnotic regression and you remember a near-death experience that you had no prior memory of, uh, I'm you know, quite dubious about that. I, I really wonder if those are simply memories, false memories implanted as part of the process of hypnosis or searching for a memory that isn't really there. So that that I, I have concerns about. On the other hand, people that have had near-death experiences have certainly described going under hypnosis and seemingly remembering other things either around the time of the near-death experience they forgot uh, or occasionally some, some increased insights from the near-death experience. So I don't know if they're remembering, bonafide remembering what happened during a near-death experience, or if that environment of hypnosis is helping them to process or understand their near-death experience better, but certainly for some people it can be a valuable adjunct. Uh, I think the great majority of people don't seek out hypnosis. Uh, the great majority of people seem to remember all that happened during the near-death experience without requiring a tool of hypnosis. Okay. 
Uh, we have an additional question from Peter. Do you have any cases of NDEs involving non-traditional or unusual entities? Uh, why, yes, uh, quite a few. They're, they're rare, but by the time you study 3,500 near-death experiences, you, you see quite a bit of that. The usual entities in near-death experience, we'll start with that descriptor. It's there. They often are described as light. By the way, light's the number one most common word used as describing what happened during the near-death experience, but uh, they're often associated with light. There can be religious beings, gods, deceased loved ones, or just you know, often described as seeming familiar, and yet they can't recognize who they are, or just other beings that are around them. Uh, generally, they feel a sense of love, connection, and support from them. They're almost never uh, frightening or adversarial. Now, that we do see some occasional non-traditional beings. Um, it's extremely rare to have, uh, you know, things that are clearly hallucinatory like cartoon characters, like, like N equals 1 out of 3,500 here. So you'd have to really wonder about that one. Uh, we did have one person who, during their near-death experience, traveled through the universe. That's not unusual, but this uh, very detailed near-death experience involved them going to other worlds in the universe and actually seeing creatures there, entities there that were alive on that planet. And they remarkably described, for example, a world which was all underwater. There really wasn't land. And these were creatures that were uh, somewhat intelligent that lived in the ocean, several different types. Uh, Other descriptions of uh, land creatures have been described on unearthly realms during near-death experiences. And certainly that's very, very fascinating to those of us that wonder about life on other planets. So those are a couple of good examples that come to mind. Excellent. Uh, Peter uh, asks another question here. In a prior interview, you referred to a dramatic case involving World War II and defending an area in Poland. Can you share fuller details of this case and why it was dramatic? Yeah. Well, uh, that involved what's uh, during a life review, as we briefly mentioned, you can see all or a portion of your prior life. It's often around that time that a very small percentage of near-death experiences then become aware of lives prior to their most recent earthly life. This obviously suggests reincarnation as they become aware of their life prior to the time of their their current earthly life. And this near-death experience involved them, it was during World War II, they were in Poland actually, and they were aware of Nazi tanks coming over the hill, and he seems to have died around that time in that prior life. Near-death experiences have quite a bit of evidence for reincarnation. That was tough for me to get. I didn't believe in reincarnation at all, so boy started studying near-death experiences. There's so uh, such a huge number of near-death experiences that describe that. I ultimately said, well, you know, as a scientist, I have to believe what the evidence shows, and there, there is very strong evidence for reincarnation. I think that's that, that one episode of, of that remembrance in World War II is certainly very dramatic because it's a, uh, a lot of times they become, uh, they have fragmentary memory of prior lives or, or simply an awareness that they had prior lives without a lot of details. This is one of the uh, quite unusual prior life memories where they seem to have a fairly detailed, uh, fairly played out recollection. And uh, I did research it, and, and at least from the geographical location he described, it certainly seemed like it was plausible. There was a, uh, The Germans did invade, and they did invade with tanks in that geographic area of Poland around the time he was describing. So I added a, you know, sort of a, a sense of reality by uh, external verification of what he'd shared. 
Okay. Um, I know. I, I just want. I know Ben probably wants to ask something here, but uh, just to get into the notion of reincarnation, uh, I have two issues with that. Mm-hmm. One is um, kind of a tongue-in-cheek one. If, the, if reincarnation is true, why are there so many ghosts, uh, <laughs> so to speak? And then uh, the second one, uh, Ben and I have very little in common with Albert Einstein, but we, we do tend to uh, uh, embrace uh, the uh, special theory of relativity, where which which implies that all time is simultaneous. You don't have a past. If you don't have a past, you don't have past lives, which is why one of the reasons we um, sort of embrace the notion of parallel lives. And regression therapists will tell us they sometimes will, will uh, run into cases of uh, people who are reporting that they're having lives in the future as well, which is, uh, you know, if it's what it appears to be and if it's true and if hypnotism is legit, then, you know, you, you may be having parallel lives instead. So I suppose that that's six of one, uh, half dozen of the other. But if uh, all time is simultaneous, what is does that do anything to uh, NDEs? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or the interpretation. Sure. There's no question about that. In the afterlife, uh, you, typically people say near, the time does not exist there. So, but that's in an unearthly, non-physical realm that time doesn't exist. Uh, throughout all of history of humankind, uh, time is linear. In other words, there was the creation of the universe uh, around 14 billion years ago, the development of galaxies, stars, uh, ultimately life on Earth developed. So on earthly life in our physical realm, there's very clearly a linear uh, time related progression of events and that appears to have been going on since the dawn of the universe so it doesn't uh, surprise me greatly that people can remember past lives you know i think that's consistent with living on an earthly realm and and uh, being engaged in that linear time that seems to be specific to a physical uh, non-heavenly realm so I, i don't have as much trouble with that as all that um so i hope that answers your question paul that's yeah, okay, uh, Ben, did you want to jump in here? Um, yeah, we're, we probably should have asked this beforehand. Uh, now that, now that I'm thinking about it, ironically, um, this probably should have been question number one, which is, you know, what is the definition of consciousness? Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's a good one. Um, uh, I, and I've actually studied that. You can go to Wikipedia and look up consciousness and you can see sort of, as I did, a wide variety of perspectives on that. I think, uh, in general, it is basically what we are in our physical bodies. In other words, it's our uh, sensory input, our processing of that sensory input, our memories, and then the, uh, sort of, if you will, the expression of who we are, what we are, and everything that we are consciously. So I think it's, it's that, that would be, you know, sort of a quick and dirty explanation of what consciousness is related to our physical bodies and yet that's completely out the window with consciousness and near-death experiences which as we've discussed and i think presented some very strong evidence uh it's not physical it's not a part of the physical brain uh it doesn't seem to be time limited and it seems to be very different so i I sort of look at consciousness from two different perspectives earthbound physical consciousness and then the consciousness described in near-death experience seems to be non-physical and as best I can tell, uh, timeless, apparently eternal. Would you say that okay, there well, are multiple different kinds of consciousnesses, or is it all one big thing? Uh, that's a, yes. In, in near-death experiences, one of a very common concept 
is the unity oneness of all. And that includes a unity of consciousness, as well a collective consciousness. We asked that very directly in our most recent version of the survey, question being, did you, during your near-death experience, encounter any awareness of a mystical, mystical connection, unity, or oneness? And remarkably, about 55% of, of near-death experiencers said yes. And in the narrative box that responded, you can vividly see that unity described. So there's no question that, uh, based on some recent research I'm doing, there, there is that unified oneness, collective consciousness. And that's, obviously, that's, that's extremely unearthly, where we all generally don't, you know, other than some other paranormal phenomena, we don't really share a consciousness. You go through your life without being aware of what other people are thinking. They don't know what you're thinking. Generally, yes, they're, uh, in the paranormal research, there may be some exceptions, but that's radically different in the afterlife. Now, uh, we want to give you a chance before we burn up the hour here to tell us about your best-selling book, uh, what you're working on, and your website, where people can find out more. Sure. Um, the New York Times best-selling book was Evidence of the Afterlife, the Science of Near-Death Experience. So uh, that's available anywhere, you know, certainly including on Amazon. Uh, that was a compilation of actually nine lines of evidence. We only talked about a few of them, uh, the convergence of all those lines of evidence is near-death experiences are, in a word, real, based on true scientific evidence. By the way, that's was published over a decade ago, and it's, it's held its own. It's been uh, debated uh, a large number of skeptics and have never lost a debate uh, based on the evidence presented in that book. Uh-huh. Where we're going in the future is, is uh, analysis of some of the most re- the questions from our most recent version of the survey on nderf.org, the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation website. We're looking into some of those questions I alluded to, uh, concepts of unity or oneness. We ask questions very directly about love, and, and we're getting some amazing insights about the concepts of love and the afterlife and how critical that seems to be, uh, very often described as the core of existence. You know, There seems to be something foundational about love, uh, you'll certainly say God variably described as supreme being. People, near-death experiences often say God is an earthly word. It has nothing to do with this overwhelming, loving, eternal being I encountered that goes beyond any possible earthly word. So a lot of these are, if we will, the spiritual concepts in the near-death experience, as well as, of course, uh, concepts of the afterlife. And so we're pursuing this more aggressively than most other prior near-death experience researchers and uh, it's exciting. I think this is probably the most exciting, dramatic results of, of any of my NDE research so far. Sure. We have a question from Lauren. I think we have time for. Uh, is, the, is there any statistic that indicates how prevalent NDEs are? For instance, do I, out of 10 people who are brought back to life, report an NDE? And she adds, thank you. Uh, and she says, fascinating topic. Thank you for, for researching this topic and for sharing your findings, Dr. Long. Okay. Well, first of all, thank you, Lauren. Uh, appreciate those words and great question, too. Uh, there's been, At the time of a close brush with death when you nearly die, about 10 to 20% of people have a near-death experience and 80 to 90% of people won't. Their unconscious peri- uh, period is, as you would expect, just a completely blank slate uh, almost always. So uh, that's that's the statistics on that. How, how often near-death experiences occur? A Gallup poll in the United States published in 1981 estimated perhaps as many as 5% of American adults 
had a prior history of a near-death experience. There's been two other major surveys in other parts of the world that found approximately 5% of the population had a near-death experience. Again, there's some methodological issues, and that may be on the high end, but certainly the major point is near-death experiences are not rare. Certainly in America and all around the world, millions of people have had near-death experiences. Okay. Uh, we have maybe five more minutes. Ben, uh, do you want to share your experience in the Bumblebee, the car we knew as the Bumblebee, the skid? Oh. Because yeah. it's... Uh, well, you don't have I, to, but I don't think it really applies. <laughs> well, the, the the term I've been looking into the, the term I've heard the term quantum death, mm-hmm. or you know people who have. I think this might have happened to me last Friday. People who have the, the, these experiences uh, where they should have died but they didn't, all of a sudden they're, you know, driving along normally rather than having hit the tree or. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the choking that was going on stops and everything's fine. I mean, it could be a neurological phenomenon, I suppose, or something. I don't know. Have you ever? I don't know if that even enters in, uh, your your realm, Jeff. Uh, well, actually, it does. Uh, we we are interested in all these episodes of altered consciousness. This concept of driving along and you know not hitting a tree. There's two separate things that could be occurring there. If there was a life threatening event, but you weren't actually physically injured. Those are called fear-death experiences, and those can be very similar to near-death experiences. Uh, they statistically are found to have more likely to have a life review in it than a near-death experience. So those could be otherwise the content and the detail can be remarkably similar in some of these fear-death experiences to classic near-death experiences. Now, other times, if you're driving along and there's no trauma, no risk of there being an, an accident, you can have what's called spontaneous out-of-body experiences. So that's where consciousness seems to be apart from the body. You can either be observing yourself or you can be uh, at times described as a completely unearthly realm. These are a class of mystical experiences that can have elements or what occurs during the experience very strongly overlapping what's seen in near-death experiences. So they're fascinating. Uh, that's going to be an important part of my future research as I look over scores and scores of these spontaneous out-of-body experiences shared with us. And these are not dreams. I mean, these do not occur in, in a dream state. These are, you're conscious and then boom, you know, for no reason seeming at all, your consciousness is apart from the body without any accident, illness, trauma, threat of trauma. Uh, they just happen. Those Again, they're rare, but they do occur. And we fortunately have quite a few to study. Okay. Uh, ben, do you want to jump in here? Um. Well, we only have a couple minutes left. That's why I'm I'm uh, I'm, I'm uh, hesitating. We do have another question from uh, Peter. Yeah, go for that. Uh, okay, uh, Dr. Carl Sagan proposed the theory that near-death experiences are explained by birth memories. For example, the tunnel of light being the birth canal and the figure of light being the doctor. Is, uh, isn't this a, a plausible explanation? That's great. Uh, that was there was a proposed explanation for near-death experiences that as you're being born, you pass through the vagina down, if you will, the birth canal, and then you suddenly for the first time see light, and perhaps that's a remembrance of near-death experiences uh, recapitulated by passing through a tunnel and seeing a mystical light. That was a somewhat popular possible explanation of near-death experience until researchers into near-death experience found a series of people who were not born by passing through the birth canal but were had near-death experiences but their birth was by cesarean section. 
uh, and they didn't pass through a birth canal. They, they simply, it was a cesarean section surgical procedure. You open it up the lower abdomen, deliver them that way. So immediately after that discovery of a series of near-death experience, people that, that had those that were not born with passing through a birth canal, that uh, hypothesis for near-death experience very quickly and mercifully went away. <laughs> okay. Well, I think we're just about uh, kind of out of time here, but uh, Jeff, please tell us once again your website. Sure. Uh, nderf.org for the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. Anybody who's had a near-death experience, there's a survey there. There's literally thousands of near-death experiences posted in over 30 languages. Uh, enjoy. It's been informative and inspiration literally to millions of people over the years. Outstanding, and thank you for what you do, and, and good yes. luck. You were a victim of, of uh, Hurricane Ida in Louisiana, and you're, you're still searching for a home, and, and you know, our love and prayers are with you and Jody in that. And uh, we'll have you back on once you're settled, and, and we'll continue this great conversation. Okay, uh, Ben, why don't we start with our announcements? Sure thing. Uh, so we look forward to the New England Parafest in Kittery, Maine, which runs from April 10th through the 26th. Uh, it's going to be a very long event, and we'll provide very long details as the dates approach. And you can also visit our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, where you can find over 1,000 hours of our regular shows, our special broadcasts since 2008 from CBS Radio, Achieve Radio, and here on WON, AM, and FM, uh, including those that have been restored in our archives at BehindTheParanormal.com. You can also hear all these broadcasts from major podcast platforms that include Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube, and pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts, you'll find us there. And you can download our show app. It's uh, simple and cute, but it's um, it's there and it's free. Uh, BehindTheParanormal.com on the main page, there's a link to it. And uh, it works on iPhones and I think uh, pretty much any smartphone. And uh, it'll tell you uh, the most recent shows and give you links to the videos here and uh, the audio, whichever you prefer to use. And um, it'll uh, also, uh, on our website, BehindTheParanormal.com, you will find... Um, much more about the, the show, about ourselves, our many cases over the years, our public appearances, and how to book us. And also on our website, it does have a charity page, uh, which includes links to several good causes that we've adopted over the years, uh, including Hope for Hilldale Cemetery in Haverhill, Massachusetts, that's uh, run by our good friend Tom Spitaleri, who I believe is actually putting on the um, the uh, New England Parafest up, up in Kittery. So that's yeah, a little, little call back to that as well. Uh, yeah, USA. Well, COVID permitting, yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, knock, knock yeah. on wood, huh? Uh, exactly. US, USA Cares, uh, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, Helping Haiti's Orphans, um, the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America, the Sisterhood of Ground Zero, and most recently, um, the Western Kentucky Tornado, Tornado Relief Fund. Um, these are all on our show website, the charity page. You can check it out, behindtheparanormal.com. So, what do and we have we, next? Next? Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no, I just wanted to point out that, that we know the people who run these charities uh, because we're very – there are a lot of charities that, that look great, but, you know, but half the money goes to uh, administration. Well, that's not the case uh, with these. We know the people who run them. And uh, my particular favorite is Helping Haiti's Orphans and, of course, the Western Kentucky Tornado, Tornado Relief Fund as well. And uh, is there a – and our, our wonderful guest is still with us, Jeff. Is there a charity you can think of uh, that um, – is is uh, meant to, that, that's really good for the the victims of Hurricane Ida from last year. Yeah, 
Wow, that's I didn't mean great to put you question. on the spot. You can send it to well, us, and we can put a link. Yeah, no, I, there's really there's no specific trick charity. Just keep us all in your thoughts and prayers, and I think that will be very important. Absolutely. Okay, so uh, next week, that'll be February. <clears throat> excuse me, February sixth. We welcome author and consciousness researcher Thomas Campbell to talk about his big toe. Uh, that's T O E theory of everything, including the larger reality that takes in the paranormal. Now, uh, I listened to a, a tremendous presentation by him, uh, sponsored by the, uh, say in Rhode Island, CCRI means communica- uh, Community College of Rhode Island, but it's actually, uh, in our context, the Consciousness and Contact Research Institute, with which Jeff and I and, and Amy Benner are all involved. Uh, Jeff, did you attend his uh, Tom Campbell's, uh, online, uh, lecture a few, uh, it was, I think it was a few months ago, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, no, I, I didn't have a chance to do that. Uh, I wish I did. I, I, I heard great things about it. That's going to be an exciting guest. Gosh, maybe I'll have to tune in here and listen to that at this point in time. Yeah, he gave a, a, a an important lecture and, and, uh, had a lot of important information. He's really one of the thought leaders on consciousness. Very good. Okay, well, uh, yeah, we'll talk about the larger reality that takes in the paranormal. So we leave you today with a ponderous quote from Canadian filmmaker James Cameron. If you set your goals ridiculously high and it's a failure, you will fail above everyone else's success. Uh, you might have to think about that a little bit. Well, I mean, that's James Cameron, right? You know, (laughs) he can say stuff like that. So anyway, I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And uh, we still have a couple seconds here, and I, I wanted to make a quick joke, but you you, uh, you you didn't give me a chance, Dad. Thomas Campbell with the theory of everything. Little does he know that the answer to everything is 42 uh, for all of, all of our, our uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy fans out there. I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time on Behind the Paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Stay tuned next for Casey Kasem and American Top 40, the 80s, next on ON Radio.